and welcome to a season-closing, trunk-slamming college basketball podcast. I'm Mike Colossa of the Cedar Rapids Gazette and thegazette.com. Joined here, of course, by Nathan Ford of the Gazette, and we'll talk about the season that just ended and the one ahead. But first, I'm doing a plug. The ultimate know-it-all sports trivia challenge is coming up on April 15th at 5.30 p.m., here at thegazette.com, it's your chance to put your knowledge of Iowa sports to the ultimate test. Join the Gazette's Leah Van and Sam Paxton at this free virtual event as they challenge you with milestone moments, stats, people, sports history. Let's see how smart you are. Two winners per round will walk away with a prize pack and advance to the live championship event in August. Again, the first round's April 15th. Register now for free at thegazette.com slash ultimate, thegazette.com slash ultimate. Uh, our focus is Iowa here, of course. So I guess I'll connect last night's national title game to the Hawkeyes. They lost to Oregon, which lost to USC, which lost to Gonzaga, which lost to Baylor. End of story. Does that mean the Hawkeyes were a long, long ways from the national title? On paper, I guess it does, doesn't it? They are a, a, they're a few lines away. But uh, I, I think from you know what we saw throughout the season, they weren't – in terms of how many teams were in between them and Baylor, I, I'm not sure they were that far away. But in terms of just – if you were you know sort of ranking the teams on tiers in the country – I think it was pretty clear all along that Baylor and Michigan or Baylor and Gonzaga, sorry, were uh, a step above everybody else. Michigan might've been close when they were at full strength. And then, I mean, Baylor. Wow. I mean that they might've, they might've been another step above Gonzaga. So in, in terms of that, there probably weren't too many teams between Iowa and the championship, but there was quite a gap I would say between Iowa and Baylor in the end. Yeah, it's were we missing anything on Baylor? I mean, I can vaguely remember when we started doing these several weeks ago that I said I thought Baylor might be the best team, but as time passed, I'm not sure I was I held to that conviction very hard. But uh, did we simply just miss how good they were, even though they were ranked number two and they were running side by side with Gonzaga all season? Maybe a little bit. I think part of that has to do with just how historically great Gonzaga was during the regular season. That just became the story, them trying to go undefeated and the way they are just blowing teams out too. I mean, yeah, people are going to say that they have an easy road in their conference and, and they do for the most part, but they, they handled some really good teams in the non-conference and in the tournament. And mm -hmm. Baylor was always kind of right there, but I think they just – weren't ever really the main story again. And I think after their COVID pause, they had some struggles. I mean, Iowa State almost beat them. And so then people kind of uh, maybe put them in sort of a 1B compared to Gonzaga. And I mean, that, that turned out to be a mistake. I don't know mm -hmm. if you saw that perspective too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right on. What, what, um, you know, it's a cliche. I don't know if cliche is the right word, but it's everybody says it. That guards win championships. But geez, what more proof did you need when you saw Baylor last night? 
Davion Mitchell, who was sensational. And it, we all had sort of known about Jared Butler and his greatness. And then you look at Gonzaga and yeah, they've got, you know, Corey Kispert, who's going to be a lottery pick and Drew Timmy, who's probably as good a center as there was in the country. But Jalen Suggs is the guy who made that whole deal go. And this is where the Big Ten, ah, you know, and, 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 and we focus on the Hawkeyes. But can you really ever dream of a national title until you get an NBA lottery pick type guard or two? It se- that seems to be the way things are heading. And, and you, you look at this Baylor team reminded me a lot of Villanova teams from the last few years just with their their guards and their their NBA type players um, and it seems like in the Big Ten you know a lot of the, the best players are centers and guys who maybe don't fit that the sort of NBA uh, profile uh, I'm not I'm not sure that that I still think a team can win a championship with a center as your star, but it's just, it's really tough to be a team that's got three, four NBA caliber guards and lottery pick type players. And a lot of the teams Iowa faced during the season just don't, didn't have those. Mm -hmm. And this is, this narrative doesn't change. I mean, you look at the players projected to be the lottery picks. They're not big 10 guys. You know, it's it's it it just doesn't change, and maybe it will when Michigan keeps pulling these high-ranked recruiting classes. I don't know, but uh, I'll tell you what: if Jalen Suggs had been in the Big Ten, I I would have ridden with that team to win the conference, no matter who it was. Hmm. Yeah, he was he was a difference maker, and. I thought um, Monday night the the moment might have been a little bit too big for him, which sounds kind of stupid to say because he played so well in the Final Four game and hit the, sh- the game when he shot, obviously. But picking up those two fouls right away and going up against Baylor's guards, who are just yeah. the best the best defensive guards that, around, and yeah, guard play is a part of it, and that a lot of people think offense, but for Baylor, defense was a big part of it too with their guards. And that you know, there you go there with Iowa we keep coming back to Iowa because that's where we are but they don't play defense like that they never have and you know Virginia two years ago you you gotta have both sides of the ball or you simply are going to get stopped at some point for Iowa it was disturbingly early that's right and I think everybody knew that 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 was going to be the end of the road for Iowa. It was just a team that outscored it. And maybe we didn't – and because Iowa's, Iowa's guards had an off night that against Oregon, and they and it wasn't even really just that they had an off night. I mean, they were just completely taken out of the game by the athleticism and uh, of Oregon's guards. And, yes, it was much earlier than, than people would have expected, but, I mean, I think – we both know that was that was the way it was. It always seemed like it was going to end for Iowa this year. Lucas yeah. still scored thirty plus, and it didn't matter. The, uh, the the reason I waited to do this 
wrap up podcast is because I, I just didn't feel like Iowa fans were ready or willing to, to do a look ahead for the Hawkeyes after the flame out in the second round, because, you know, they got routed by a number seven seed and looked the, the, a team, an Oregon team that looked awfully mortal in its next game when it got routed by USC. And so who really wants to look ahead when you, when you thought you had your best shot at a deep turning run and you couldn't cash in and how are you going to, you know, even have any interest right now in next season, but there's going to be a next season. <laughs> and Dang. yeah, well, we all assume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's hard to definitively talk about the Hawkeyes for next season, as with a lot of teams around the country, because we don't know what the roster is going to be precisely. We think we know what the nucleus will be, but I don't know for 100% certainty that Joe Wieskamp is gone. I just think so. Uh, I don't know if anybody's going to be a late addition to the roster from the transfer portal. I would assume that you've got to get somebody. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know a lot of things. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Is C.J. Frederick going to get healthy, really, truly healthy? And then we can talk about the players who we are pretty sure are coming back. But r- right now, where do, you, where do you see the Hawkeyes in April 2021? Man, that, that's, a, that's a hard question, like you said, because – Right now, after after all these college championship games, it's always a quick look ahead. People are interested, especially teams that um, you know weren't in that Final Four championship picture, are are looking ahead to next year, seeing where they are in those way too early, as everybody calls them, top twenty fives. And maybe it's just me, but I feel like the interest in that isn't quite as high right now because there are so many impact players in the transfer portal right now. There are just so many players in general in the transfer portal right now that we don't know where they're going to end up, if they're possibly going to come back to the, to their school for some of them. And it's just, it makes it really tough to predict next year. Um, I, I think the last few years, obviously there's been more and more transfers and we could look at got, um, guys and say, well, that would take a team from like third in their conference to second, if they could land that transfer. But there's, there's players out there that can, make have teams make big jumps in the in the conference and national rankings i don't know that iowa is going to land any of those necessarily but you have to kind of look at that within the context of, of the teams around iowa as well i think fans at this point are a little just discouraged by the, the continued second round exits from the from the iowa men in the ncaa tournament I think people expect it to be a pretty consistent NCAA tournament team. And that's, you know, no matter who comes back next year, that's going to be the hope is that they can get into the, into the tournament again. But I don't, I don't really see a sense of excitement around the program that we saw the last few years, just because obviously you're losing possibly the greatest player the program has ever had mm-hmm. and some, and potentially some other impact players too. So I, I just don't see the, people Hawkeye fans really too excited about next year, other than the fact that they will probably get to go to games again. Yeah. You know, it might be a case where 
the team exceeds expectations, but still in the back of everybody's mind, it's like, yeah, but ultimately where does this end? Yeah. Um, expectations though mean so much because there were so many expectations placed on this season's team. If you take away all those expectations and you say, okay, you're going to go 22 and nine, you're going to the tournament, you're going to get a number two seed. You know, you, you beat North Carolina in a fairly one-sided game in the second half. You beat Wisconsin three times. You won by 30 points at Michigan State. You beat Michigan State twice in the same season. You went to Ohio State when Ohio State was in the top five and dominated them. Pretty good season. But then you put the number five preseason ranking on them, and you have the number two seed in the NCAA tournament on them, and you didn't challenge for the Big Ten title really. And you didn't get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Those are all things you could have lived with without those great expectations. But with those expectations, it's it still to me feels like a hollow season. That's right. And people are going to look back and, and remember the, some of those good times and how much fun it was to watch Garza on a nightly basis and just being in the national conversation throughout the season and in the top ten in the rankings, having some big games and some big wins, but ultimately the expectations didn't matter. And it, and the, and Iowa fell short and everybody associated with the team left disappointed uh, after this year. And yes, in 10 years ago, you could have looked at this and said, that's where Iowa wants to be just in the tournament with a high seed and a chance to advance with players that are, all Big Ten, all America caliber, and th that's a great place to be. And if you can establish some consistency with that, it it's tough to complain. But this was just – this was the chance to sort of end some streaks, some mm -hmm. the Sweet 16 streak, the, the conference championship streak. It was just a, a chance to just kind of forget all about that and just focus on that consistency and – the team wasn't able to meet that and it was a big burden on them for sure. It, it was a lot to ask, but they put it, it on it, themselves. They did. They absolutely did. And so that, that, that they're going to be disappointed, just as disappointed as the fans because they, they couldn't, they just couldn't meet that expectation that they set for themselves and the fans did as well. I think one more win in the tournament, get to the second weekend I think it changes everything. Even if you play USC in the Sweet 16 and get thrashed, I still think it's like, but they went, they got there. You know, they got that monkey off their back. They beat the Pac-12 regular season champion to get into the Sweet 16, and they just ran up against a buzzsaw. But uh, that that's, you know, it's like get from one side of the river to the other without a boat. Uh, or a bridge it's now it just seems like it's it's just unreachable <laughs> and, and just the way they lost to Oregon too it, it just it was like all the other second round exits when Iowa was a seven eight nine ten seed except this time it was the two seed and still just got blown out and that that I think that is just 
even more just discouraging and just tough to reckon with. If they if they if they had lost on a buzzer beater or in a back and forth game in the nineties, you kind of just tip your hat and, and you're just you can look back and say it not that it was a fluke, but it was it was right there. And just just the how similar it was to all the other second round games despite Iowa being a two seed is just it's tough to it's tough to to handle if you're a fan. And to have three of your five starters go scoreless in yeah. that game leads to criticisms and realizations. And we're, you know, now we've learned Connor McCaffrey's going to need both hips operated on. I guess he's already had one done, if, if I understand that right. Uh, we know C.J. Frederick wasn't right physically. But still, it's like this is the, the gap when your guards can't produce in the moment of truth. I mean, we're beating a dead horse here. I should probably move on, but let's, well, let's talk about, I mean, they do have players coming back. Uh, it's going to be a new team really, even though there will be a lot of familiar faces, you're, you're going to lose your top three scorers. Bohannon's not coming back. Uh, we're assuming Wieskamp isn't, and maybe we shouldn't because there's a long ways until the draft this year. It's not until late July. That's a long time, but from just every, Indications I get, including from him himself after the last game, is he's a junior who probably thinks it's time to go try and, you know, make the money and start that career. So we'll assume for now that he's gone. So you, you've Garza, Wieskamp, Bohannon. Okay, three top scores. All right, let's see the new team, I guess. Um, who do we know that you're going to be able to count on? I mean, let's ass- let's assume Frederick gets healthy. I start with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's. I would start with him too. He's he's the guy that you turn to, that you want the ball in his hands, and, and running the offense through on almost every possession. You want him taking a lot more shots. I mean, his his usage percentage was very low this year. Ken Palm had him eighth on the team and yet his offensive rating on Ken Palm was number 26 because he's such a good shooter. He's so efficient with the ball. He, he, he just needs to, he needs to shoot more. I think part of that was him. Just, he, he passed up some shots quite a bit that I think he needed to take. I think so he needs to be just more selfish and the team needs to focus on him getting the ball and scoring because he can be, he can be, um, a, a high volume scorer and shooter, I think. So, he, yeah, I, I completely agree that it starts with him. And may, I think one, I think a thing he's going to work on is getting his own shot, but I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be ever amazing at that. So it's going to be on other guys to try to get him open and get him the ball. And that's where, that's where the offense starts. If, if I'm Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keegan Murray seems to already be money in the bank as far as you know what you're going to get with him, and it's good things. Um, 
I'm curious about Patrick McCaffrey and Joe Toussaint more than anybody. And what, you know, and we, we say all this, we don't know if anybody's going to go in the transfer portal. Okay. This maybe tomorrow there will be news and this whole podcast will be, you know, <laughs> invalid, but you can't assume anything when I've seen some of the names that have come out. It's like, why are they leaving? But uh, to me, Patrick McCaffrey and Joe Tucson have got a lot of potential, a lot of upside. Uh, and they also have a rapport with each other on the court that's fun to watch. But they've got some distance to go, don't they? They do. And you're, you're exactly right that they have a ton of potential. And the way Toussaint can, can – blow by defenders is is different than Iowa has had at the point guard position for the last few years. Um, he's a, he's a good passer when he's under control. Patrick McCaffrey is, is similar when he, he is a, a type of athlete and with a type of body that is rare in the big 10. He's capable of doing a lot of things on the offensive end and the defensive end. It's just a matter of being under control um, probably still putting on more weight. And obviously he had some extenuating circumstances with that. So um, that's, you know, something that he's going to keep getting better at, uh, we assume. And it's just those guys playing more like the veterans that they will be, which is a lot to ask because you still look at them and they, it's not like they've started a bunch of games or, you know, played big minutes at the end of a bunch of high-level games just because of everybody that was in front of them. But you're looking for them to take that next step and and be leaders and be guys that don't turn the ball over, be consistent players um, with good shooting percentages, improving their outside shots, being consistent defenders, rebounders, at least in McCaffrey's case. And if those guys can take a, take a step, that I think that ups Iowa's ceiling significantly. Mm-hmm. I, I love watching Toussaint play. I know he, that he frustrates some people at times, but what you said to me hit the nail on the head. It's he's there hasn't been another Iowa point guard like him in the McCaffrey era. Mm-hmm. And when he's right, it's just it's just a refreshing difference. And I think that if he knows he's going to play 28, 30 minutes a game, it's going to make him a better player. He, he, there's been no rhythm or rhyme to his usage. And I understand that they had a veteran lineup, but it just seems to me like when he knows he's going to play or he's going to get extended minutes, he's a better player. If he's out there for seven straight minutes, he's a way better player than if he's out there for three minutes. And maybe that's just my imagination or my interpretation of something that uh, isn't necessarily true. But but uh, I, I see him that if you give this guy the ball, I think he's going to make you happy that you did. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree that he he he's a guy that can that can change games. And I think his shooting has to get better. But that's something that can be worked on in the offseason for sure. And knowing that he's going to have a major role makes probably makes a guy want to stick around and get better and prove that, that he can be a, a starter at the big 10 level. I think, I think it'll be interesting to see just kind of how the Iowa offense works too, with um, a little bit of different roster construction and 
there could be transfers added. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about what maybe their Iowa's philosophy should be in, in getting transfers. But if you just look at the roster right now, that the way that the, the lane could be open, the way that Iowa could play, I think could suit Toussaint a lot better. Um, obviously you would, that goes without saying you would rather have Luca Garza on your team than you want it. But I think with Garza out and Nunji isn't going to be back you ha- and Murray being able to stretch the floor as a, as your big guy right now, that, that could be a, an offense that could really suit Toussaint really well. Um, just an open lane, being able to, to have the space to create and either get to the basket or kick to shooters, kick to cutters. He He's good at finding cutters when he gets to the baseline. I think, Toussaint has has a chance based on that offense to really explode in the upcoming season. Um, the, I also am curious to see what Tony Perkins and Aaron Euless bring to this. Uh, they played in very oh short stretches when they were used for the most part. Euless had a good game at Maryland. Perkins had his moments. Uh, to me, what struck me about the two is I didn't get a great sense for their games, but neither one shrank in the moment. When they were called upon, it's like they felt like they belonged out there. I, you could, I just sensed that, and that's a good thing. But now I think you got to find out, are these guys Big Ten players or not? And I know that, that McCaffrey likes them, but, but – uh, he had the luxury of not needing them this past season. Uh, he's going to need them now. Absolutely. And I think the, the potential issue you run into is you're looking at some guards coming back with Toussaint, uh, Perkins, Ulyss, and then you throw Connor McCaffrey in there too. Shooting doesn't jump out at you. And Obviously, you hope to have C.J. Frederick back and healthy, and he, he can be one of the best shooters in the Big Ten, if not the country. So that, that takes that away. But I, I just don't know in today's game that you can have an offense built around a bunch of guards that are just – that can't shoot. And mm-hmm. so that, that's, that is, a, that is a, a token to more playing time if you're those, gar- those guys. They're great. They, they look like they're – the, the defensive potential is, is great that they uh, they came in and had some good moments in some in some games. I think it was the Michigan State game at home that Perkins really changed the game on with his defense. So that that's a great start. That's a great way to start for a young player. And now you just hope that some of these guys can sort of find a role on offense um, because Toussaint kind of already has the, the dribble penetration down and those guys seem like they especially Perkins seems like he's capable of getting to the rim but I think you want to see some improved shooting out of all these guards coming back if Iowa's offense is going to click the way they want it to and I don't know how well these guys can shoot because they simply didn't take very many perimeter shots Perkins without hesitation shot a three-pointer in the Oregon game and made it it was his first three-pointer of his college career but the fact that, that he didn't hesitate and fired it, I thought to me that was a good sign. I yeah, think to yeah. sign, it could be a decent three-point shooter. But again, we, you haven't really needed to see it, and the, the freedom hasn't really been there. But he looks like if it's there, he's going to take it. 
yeah, that's that's definitely what you want to see. And maybe some of that was just those guys knew that, okay, either Bohannon, Wieskamp, Frederick, even Garza is, is out here. Those guys are good established three-point shooters. We Their role was to get them the ball. And so maybe that changes this year when they're, they're confident and they are guys that are going to be out on the floor a lot. Maybe they're shooting. We'll just see more of it and we'll see that they are good shooters. And that's, that's the hope, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's there are over 1,200 players in the transfer portal. The number goes up by dozens every day. But I look at the list for big guys because that's obviously what Iowa needs. Uh, slim pickings. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys who could come in and actually help that team next year. They're, I don't know. I'm probably missing a lot of them because I'm looking at 6'9", 6'10", et cetera. And maybe I should be looking at six, seven, six, eights. Uh, but they, but they do need a body, don't they? I mean, you can't count on Josh Gundelay to give you anything next season. And anything he gives you is going to be a bonus. Yeah, and you know, I, when I was watching Baylor last night, they, that's a that was a small team built around guards, and they did have some bodies, but they were they were smaller than than you know most Big Ten teams, and. I'm in no way saying that Iowa is going to be like Baylor. That's obviously not true. But that's that's an interesting blueprint, I think, when you have these athletic guards coming back, good defenders, if they can develop into good shooters, that's the type of profile that Iowa might be interested in. That being said, I think you want to at least have the option of having a center, especially to compete in the Big Ten defensively. Um, you want to have a big body in there. Keegan Murray is outstanding, but he's not going to be playing 40 minutes per game, obviously. Um, a, a, a name that entered the transfer portal uh, just Tuesday morning was Liam Robbins from Minnesota, who a lot of Iowa fans wish they would have been had a chance to get when he came out of Drake and obviously went to Minnesota to follow his uncle. I don't necessarily, he, he's from Davenport. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be looking at Iowa or Iowa's going to be looking at him, but I think that's probably the type of player that most fans are really hoping to get a guy that's proven himself at the power conference level and is a, is a solid scorer and defender that can make an impact right away. The problem is a lot of teams are going to be looking for those guys. And there's just no guarantee that just because you lost a couple transfers, you're going to get anybody back. Mm -hmm. Um, well, uh, there's a lot of dots to be dotted and uh, connections to be made between the next month is going to be interesting. I follow this. It's, this is college basketball free agency. There's no sit out period this year. And the whole thing is, is just crazy. And I love it because it's chaos, mm-hmm. but I mean, you're going to have, you've got teams in the big 10 who've been hammered Rutgers, which is, is, uh, I mean, Miles Johnson's leaving for a good reason. He's a fantastic student who wants to go finish his engineering out on the West Coast, and he's a West Coast guy. But Jacob Young leaves Rutgers. Adam Miller leaving Illinois. Hmm. I mean, that struck me as crazy, but these players want more. They want the, the perfect fit, I guess. Minnesota's whole team, it seems like, is in the transfer portal. Um so I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you look around and uh, 
Nate Reavers is going to play another season from Wisconsin, a 6'11 guy. Well, what's he got in mind? You know, uh, Marcus Carr, if he doesn't go pro, apparently is on the lookout for a new home. That's a that's an all Big Ten player. This is just this is insane. And and uh, like I said, I love it. I do too. And people, have, I I just think it's funny that people overreacting. Oh, there's. 1200 players in the transfer portal like heads exploding like they made a commitment to their schools and it's like oh my gosh who cares i think it's funny i i saw somebody tweeted i can't remember now but they're like it, it you can't convince me that every player entering the transfer portal doesn't think they're just going to go to kentucky and <laughs> that that's going to be their answer so some of these guys are going to find out that they they can't get to the spot maybe that they wanted cuz there's just so many players and I mean every, I think every power conference team is going to have the opportunity to bring in a couple guys because they they lost a couple guys and there's there's only so many spots to go around at the power conference level so mm-hmm. it's going to be really fun to follow and we're not going to know we're not going to be able to make solid predictions for another no no months. Uh, a lot of coaches are very comfortable taking transfers always have been I, uh, Fran McCaffrey isn't, you know, Jared Utoff was sort of a, uh, unusual deal. They'd recruited Utah before a local guy. They knew who he was. And then a couple of years ago, they had a real need for guards and they, they took on Bakari Evelyn who did a nice job for them, but McCaffrey's very big on intimately knowing players and, and wanting them to be good fits as people on his roster and so forth. And uh, I think this is maybe a little harder for him than the average college coach. It, it seems like it. And you, you can sort of sense the frustration some fans have at that because the national writers will tweet out, oh, this guy, this transfer has already heard from these 20 schools and Iowa's almost never on that list. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad strategy to, to focus on guys that you're comfortable with and not just throwing your name out every single time. But with the, just with the amount of transfers that are out there today, the, the eligibility rules, the, just the way the game is changing in general, it is worth exploring that philosophy. And maybe it's, maybe it's just a situation where if he does feel more comfortable taking on transfers, he's going to be looking at guys that he recruited out of high school that, that he pursued that he was comfortable with, but it, it is, I, I get why fans get kind of annoyed to not see Iowa coming up on some of these lists, but it's not like you're going to get every transfer anyway. So if, if the targeted approach works and he gets the guys that he wants, then it's the smart thing to do, but the, that's, we'll have to wait and see if that's how it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, men's basketball. We move on, but we, you know, the best story in the state this coming winter is going to be the women's basketball in this state. Uh, I just, it just is. It, it, that's not going on a limb. The the Hawkeye women didn't talk in October and November about going deep in the NCAA tournament. They simply got to the tournament, won two games, and got to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, Iowa State was agonizingly close to the Sweet 16 itself. 
And those two teams have almost everybody who matters coming back. And those players include Caitlin Clark and Ashley Jones. One led the nation in scoring and was second in assists. And the other one was, I think, fifth in scoring nationally. Jones, you know, is an uh, old player. She's a sophomore. Uh, the Iowa thing with Clark. We're assuming Carver Hawkeye is going to be open to the public next year for, you know, in full force. Certainly hope that's the case. Uh, I think this thing's going to explode. I mean, I, I think Iowa women's basketball is going to be a big event next season. Uh, what sayeth you? I completely agree. And we kind of talked about it on a previous podcast, how Caitlin Clark's profile is going to go national and it happened already. I mean, that she was, she was one of the top stories in sports for a few days there, along with Paige Beckers from UConn and that matchup helped obviously, but just Clark's performance in the NCAA tournament and people are going to be aware of that this year. And it's like we said before, she's just, not only is she outstanding, but the style of play is just incredible to watch. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of basketball you, anybody would pay to see. Just and the that way that she, yes. And, and I mean, she, Megan Gustafson was the national player of the year, but you know, Megan Gustafson's a post player and yeah. as good as it gets, but, but Caitlin Clark is a basketball player. I mean, she had, she had Kevin Durant commenting on her. Uh, it didn't matter who you were in the national basketball scope, it seemed like they instantly knew who she was and they responded to it. Yeah. And it's it just, it reminds me so much of Sabrina Ionescu from Oregon a couple of years ago and just the way that she just transcended women's basketball and college basketball and became a sport, national sports story. And that's the type of player we're looking at with Caitlin Clark ball in her hands, every possession ability to shoot and make from anywhere. Excellent passer. And the, you, you, the, the hope would be that Iowa can jump into that, into the, uh, the, the national picture as a team. And, and they're obviously ahead of where we expected them to be this year in the Sweet 16. And not only are you going you gonna to be looking at Carver Hawkeye Arena having outstanding attendance numbers, I think you're going to be seeing Iowa on national television a lot. They're going to be, ESPN is going to want those, they're going to want Iowa games. Fans were trying. Fans last year. Fans were just trying to get Iowa on Big Ten Network, and Big Ten Network finally stepped right. up and started broadcasting. Just a couple months ago. Yeah, <laughs> and and now anytime ESPN has a Big Ten women's basketball game, I mean they always want Maryland, but they're going to want Iowa now because that that's a draw. Yeah, I mean, and and both. I mean, Clark is going to be surrounded by a better team than she was this year. She just is. Uh, I mean, they started three sophomores and a junior besides Clark and good players, you know, uh, they're adding another good post player in, in a young woman from, uh, uh is it Colorado? Mm -hmm. Addison O'Grady's her name. Yep. And, uh, she's supposed to be very good and, and putting her, you know, having her in the blocks along with Cinzano, who was a very good story in her, uh, in itself the way she emerged. Mm -hmm. uh, 
God, they're going to have a good team. I mean, uh, nobody's picking them number one in the country, but it's a top 10 team. And with, with excitement to go with it. And Iowa State, this was an injury-wracked team, but still, they won just enough, it seemed like, to get into the tournament. But they get there, and it's like you, you see them with three freshman starters and Ashley Jones. They had the fr- Big 12's freshman of the year again this year. Uh, it's like they're going to be really good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this state I, – I, epicenter is an overstatement but this is going to be a real hotbed a real focal point for women's college basketball and it really can't be said enough that not only are they going to be really good but they're both just such fun teams to watch with the way they can score and and Iowa to get where it wants to be just has to improve defensively I mean they're going to give up a lot of points because of the pace they play and just their style of play but it's a, it's a similar conversation as the men's team was coming into this year where they they just have to be decent defensively to get where they really want to be. But regardless, it's going to be a super fun team to watch, both Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State, I guess, lost uh, Fairbox to the transfer transfer portal, but we assume that uh, Espen Miller and McGraw will be back from injury. And then the Jones sisters back. Um, it's it, it, I cannot wait for the Iowa-Iowa State game. I love the Cyhawk basketball games anyway because it's such a – it's it feels like such a big game in, in December instead of like waiting for the conference season. And it's just one game that you can look back on every year. But I I wish they were playing two or three times next year because that yeah. is gonna be such a fun game. Oh, it's gonna be in Hilton and I think you'll have scalpers. Yeah, yeah. Very well could be. Uh well, ESPN put out its way too early top 25 for the women yesterday, and Mar- uh, Iowa was ninth, Iowa State 12th. That's pretty good starting point. That's outstanding. Um, that's all I've got. That's it. I'm ready to see all these transfers roll in, roll out. Garza gets his wooden award later today and uh, put a bow on this and just go sit outside and listen to birds or something for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds outstanding. And then football will be here before we know it. Uh, I'm in no hurry. <laughs> summer. Be some vaccinated summer. My first vaccine is on Thursday. I'm so excited. I cannot wait for life to get back to somewhat normal and Next year, college basketball season. Hopefully, we're ta- hopefully it's like back to normal completely. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thanks for doing this with me here this winter, and uh, we'll see what the future brings. But I, I, you know, this college basketball season was something that uh, I needed, and I was glad we had, and I was. I'm usually just ready to kick it out the door once it's over, but I could have gone a while longer this year. I felt the same way. I I felt like last year when everything got canceled, obviously I was disappointed, but I was kind of a little burned out just from all the other sports going on at this time of year. But I having college basketball back this year, it was just such a, it was just so nice to have during a, a long winter of staying inside. So 
I'm, I'm going to miss it. The UCLA Gonzaga game just made you want more. Yes. I, I haven't had a feeling like that watching a sporting event in a while. It's just like two teams I couldn't care less who wins, but was just cheering every shot, standing up, chills, yelling at nothing. And it, oh my God, what a classic. Yeah. And as great as the moment was when Suggs hit banked in that three pointer, part of me was like, no, I want him to play some more. <laughs> I know. When UCLA made the shot, I was like, double overtime let's go I'll take six overtimes and as excited as the sug shot after I was like so excited at that shot and just like everything that happened I was like ah man now the game's over yeah we have to wait till Monday and kind of got a dud but as you know as as silly and as sometimes stupid as big time sports can be uh it it is it's games like that, that that you say, I wish everybody got it. I wish people who didn't like sports could feel this because yeah. this is why we keep coming back. Absolutely right. Nothing beats well, it. We're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> not not tomorrow anyway, not next week, but, but uh, we'll see what the future brings. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. Okay. And thanks to everybody for watching, listening, etc. Appreciate you very much. Uh, have a great spring and summer.